0: This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent
1: day for an exit. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got right red on your... They're coming to get you, Barbara. Horror. Alive. Am- <laughs> it's Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of Oh The Horror. It's a horror movie podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And today we are looking at the year 2000's mm-hmm. seminal... Black comedy horror classic, American Psycho, directed by Mary Harron.
0: Yeah, this, um, man, American Psycho, this movie stirs up so much controversy, and not just not just the film, but Brett Easton Ellis' novel uh, that came out in 91. Man, people, so many death threats, so many death threats, so many boycotts. Uh, even when this film was being talked about, in the development phase, uh, before Christian Bale signed on to this project, Leonardo DiCaprio was base. he was attached to it for a while. This was post Titanic. And there was so much pressure for him to drop the film. Even Gloria Steinem was like, You no, just this is don't take this movie. It, you know, you have this fan base. It'll kill your career. And that that was kind of what went around with everybody is that don't take this movie it will kill your career.
1: That's so interesting to me because, again, like you mentioned him and I'm like, wow, he'd actually be very good in the role of Bateman. I thought it would, Uh, you know, and it would have been a great turn for him too because he did just
0: go from the heartthrob. But for some reason, and maybe people were thinking about like Macaulay Culkin when he did like the good son and that was, that did not work for him at all. You look at it now and you're like, that's kind of cool. But at the time it, it, it didn't work. And I think they were worried about that. Uh, but Christian Bale ends up taking this role, is also told, you know, this will kill your career, and he, he doesn't care, he does it anyway, and this movie pretty much made his career, this, this catapulted him to that whole new level, where people didn't know, they are like, oh, that guy from Newsies, or The Land of Faraway, yeah, not many people know that one, now people are like, who is this guy? And yeah, no, then,
1: this, this I can easily see that this kind of put him on the map for
0: absolutely, kind man. of like,
1: being the out there uh, auteur actor that really sinks himself into a role and goes for it a hundred percent. Yeah, because I like to me the the role is synonymous with Christian Bale, and it's again the thing that more or less made him and. Now I think about like what Leonardo DiCaprio was coming down the pipeline after, like in the early two thousands. Like Catch Me If You Can would have been the thing that kind of broke him for me uh, in two thousand and two. And now that I'm thinking about, like, okay, well he doesn't need any help being Leonardo DiCaprio, but for Christian yeah, but Bale, I, this know, was the le- thing that yeah. Made this, him.
0: this definitely made him. DiCaprio was fine without it. You yeah, know, no, he uh, was he was gonna
1: be he was gonna be Leonardo DiCaprio anyway. But I can't imagine Christian Bale without this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, this, I really this is
0: this is his iconic role. When people think of iconic villains uh, in, in horror films, Patrick Bateman comes up all the time, you know, and it is, everyone does picture Christian Bale as this character. And his portrayal is fantastic. Now, this is a very abridged version of the book.
1: Uh, it, like, it, I it really I mean, does whole, seem like that. It, it well, and the, very much feels like a book that is yeah. uh, uh, very dense and nuanced and brings forward a lot of big ideas about like I mean just off the top of my head from watching this from the first time a couple of hours ago like capitalism and greed and uh, debauchery and American excess and it's it's a very like it's very much a satire of a lot of what capitalistic tendencies come from being in America which is you know a lot and i can see why a lot of this was like if, if you listen to our last episode to me this was one of those movies that was almost ruined by the its presence on a lot of college dorm posters along with fight club and the godfather and all of these things that it was like cultural osmosis of like oh yeah this is the edgy out there classic film that a lot of you know like early 20s kids latch on to for those edgy ideas
0: actually you know what no yeah I, it's it's actually really funny you say that just briefly like the the people you meet in the beginning like the punk weirdo art friends basically uh the the first meeting at the first dinner party who you meet um that's basically like the people I imagine who love this film in their early exactly. 20s. Who are like, no, I really get this film, and it's like, no, man, this is a piss take on all of you guys. So while you think it is something that that fits in with your edgy, you know, lifestyle, whatever, it's no, it doesn't. It it's a piss take on all of it. So
1: it's it's a piss take on on a lot of things, and like he's like, there's a great. I completely did not know that a little baby Reese Witherspoon was in this as well. Uh, it's uh, when she's yeah. like, "Why do we need to go to that restaurant?" And she and he says something to the effect of, "I want to fit in." Yeah,
0: that's that's this movie in general, man. It's it, this whole movie is about like lack of identity. It's about the '80s. It's about excess. It's about how nobody knows. And people are faceless. They are nobody. Uh, they don't. They don't matter. Everyone confuses everyone for someone else. They only know each other by what they wear, and. It's basically what they wear and where they go and eat. You know, it's all status. That's it.
1: Exactly. And they ca- they talk about status. They lavish in talking about status. Of course there's an like I understand now why that infamous scene where they're just showing each other business cards is so iconic because it's just to, to anybody looking at that, it's the same fucking business card every time. <laughs> it's not though there's there's
0: when you look at it when you look at it really there are differences on every single one of them and they are the legit differences it's it's funny because you look at that on how much they care about business cards but it's the same thing with people bragging about their you know their house if they got an addition or a pool or something like that or somebody who's bragging about their car you realize that Nothing changes. It's still about status and consumerism and just... When they go out to eat, it's just they want to have reservations. They don't care where. They just want reservations, and it's yeah, all about the best place. I'm not place. going
1: anywhere if I don't have a reservation. Like, that's insane to hear. And it's it is a, it's weird. This movie is so fascinating because, again, I, I see that like the date that this was released was in the year 2000, but uh, on a technical level literally everything about this makes me it look like it was made in the 80s. If you told me this was filmed in the 80s, I'd believe you because of not only like how the camera is placed, but every bit every bit of fashion, every bit of uh new, like I was still questioning when this movie actually took place until I saw Ronald Reagan on a TV screen. Like it was it, it was that like in in its time period and that like just that level of excess in the 80s where wall street like douchebags were running everything back then and making money hand over fist and only caring about what was uh, like what was the the top level thing to care and brag about to everybody else it's insane
0: yeah no and then when you when you look at it what it came down to at the end of the day for them was like you saw everybody had to keep this kind of facade during the day you know, it's like uh, the biggest thing that mattered to them was who could get a reservation at Dorsia. Dorsia is the thing that is like the the holy grail to them. That's their that's uh, their big white whale, right? Exactly. And then the rest of it is every time there are these frustrations going on. That's basically like when you see Patrick acting out and going crazy. It's it's all of that. It's all of that stuff from the '80s just c- coming to a head. At that point like every and not just him i think it's it's society as a whole and having to put up that facade all the time and having you know working even those jobs because i mean that's the thing cocaine the drug of choice and of course granted you never even see him work in this movie but you know that it's all about this keeping things going and making sure his status is as high as it can be and if it's you know uh going out with people he hates in order to keep all that going and then the more it builds the more it builds the more it builds instead of you know just having a freak out which he has plenty in here uh, he takes it into uh, a murderous you know a, a murderous tones you know have heavy heavy uh he kills a lot of people man he kills oh yeah no it's, kills uh, he kills a lot, a lot of people. people
1: and so it's it is very poetic because i i often uh, like shrugged my shoulders at the idea of this movie before having even seen it because i didn't really think of the kind of poetic uh, matching of this insane character with the environment that he's put in and how well it meshes together. Because, again, this is over the top. Everybody's dressed like uh, the those art ho- those artsy villains in Beetlejuice where it's just the slick back hair, the big zoot suits, like all of that shit. And where he's ta- – he, like, Christian Bale's talking about all these things about how he was so disappointed that the person that he killed, his apartment, was more – Lavish than his and clearly more expensive and thinking about all of these things that, yeah, because he's because he's a savage. But also the the environment that he plays around in, he is like this twisted, like reflection of all of that stuff pushed out of those things because he will ruthlessly kill and murder and maim and assault anything that gets in his way. Because he feels like he should, and so he he's is he's
0: a, like, he's basically the personification of Wall Street in the eighties.
1: Yeah, he is, and it's a it's or a even wonderful capitalism,
0: you know, willing to do whatever it is, you know, whatever is necessary,
1: and doesn't care, and it gets sloppy, and uh, without going right. too much into the ending just yet, uh, goes completely unpunished and unchecked because well,
0: and, and emotionless for the most part. The stuff that sets Bateman off at certain moments, it's totally like flipping a switch. Like, in this case, this is very... His his flip-out moments remind me a lot of, like, how Christopher Walking can go from, like, zero to walking in, in, like... Exactly, two, yeah. Point two or five Nicholas Cage seconds or, or something. something like that. Yeah, he can go full Cage in, like, maybe half a second. And this this kind of reminds me of that. It is that he goes full, full Bateman at a moment's notice... I Actually, I think one of the the best moments in this is when he's talking to his secretary uh, when she comes over to his apartment and he sets down the... Or she sets down the spoon and he's like, just immediately as they're kind of casually talking, he's like, in the carton! Just like yells at her. But so stern. But then goes back like it's nothing.
1: Right. And it's... It's such a very good portrayal of just a twisted mentality of no, keep this clean, and then like don't don't go that like don't g- do this, right? Because I need to indulge in what I need to be in, and like it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. Just like I need to align all of these dolls and all of these things in the way that I want to align them in, so that I can have my fun, or that I can have. Yeah, it's ha- just do it, my it's thing. interesting, and it's the second that that's broken, see,
0: yeah. Well, the, the 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 dealing with mental issues as well. Mental health is a major factor of this film. Like it is one of the biggest uh, biggest points of this film. Like when of your biggest themes, I guess, in this film. He uh, in the beginning, you see Bateman. You know, he has a, he has a lot of pills in his place and stuff. There's there are things he is taking, and I guess things he is not taking um that he should be but he takes care of himself really well other than that i mean he has his whole regiment that he uh does while he watches films like texas Chainsaw massacre yeah he can do he can do a thousand sit-ups now it's pretty amazing
1: and he and he uh, yeah and that, uh, i mean the physique and routine is very impressive very expensive uh yeah. if i had that dude's skincare routine i'd be dripping every day i'd be i'd look amazing uh yeah but i mean if, it's it's yeah. crazy and then you know I'm, um, I'm
0: looking through I'm looking through this cast list right now as we're going through this dude like <laughs> it's I mean so th- so I I mean I guess I, I'll just do a, a quick a quick list off of people real fast just so and, and it's just going to be naming everybody so Christian Bale Justin Thoreau, Josh Lucas Chloe Sevigny uh, Reese Witherspoon, Samantha Mathis Jared Leto, Willem Dafoe uh, and then Reggie Cathy plays the homeless oh. man
1: Razy cast Reggie uh, fucking yeah.
0: Reggie and i was i that blew me away. I was looking through as I saw that came up, and I'm just like, Whoa, wait what
1: yeah um that like i saw i did a i legit did a double take sk- staring at a screen, I was like, oh my god right uh, the the cast is just
0: absolutely absolutely amazing, um and then you have uh Matt Ross who's in this as well, and he's in stuff like Silicon Valley and and American Horror Story. So you have a lot of people who went on and and did a lot of TV stuff as well. So this is an amazing cast as you're going through it, and you don't realize how good it is until, I mean, as you're watching it, you just start picking up and seeing people, and you're like, holy crap. Like, this has everyone. And, by the way, this is a very low-budget film. The, The budget for this was only $7 million,
1: which is kind of crazy to think about, but also, I, I, I believe it, I think? Like, because again, this movie was made almost 20 years ago, and right, you don't think about, like, the, the types of things that this movie's doing and the things that this movie calls for, because it's not a lot. Like, you can fake an expensive apartment. Like, you could easily do that.
0: Now, now that it's, that is true, and I think like most of where they ended up shooting, so they did get a bunch of exteriors uh, in New York, but this was filmed in Toronto. The majority of sense. this movie was filmed in Toronto. You get amazing tax incentives by doing that. So you had a seven million dollar budget. It made only fifteen million in the U.S. because it was so controversial, and I don't think people understood really what it was uh, until it became a cult classic. Uh, but you know, its its worldwide was about thirty four million, thirty five million. So it was definitely successful. It made its money back, no matter what, and then got a really garbage sequel with Mila Kunis. Uh, yeah, that has I... nothing to do. I've seen it. It is really <laughs> bad. So yeah, I would say don't see uh, American Psycho two. All American Girl. That's what they call it. It's terrible. It's absolutely. A waste of time pretend it doesn't exist American Psycho (laughs) is the only one actually if you want to see a companion film Rules of Attraction is a great one Um, that's also Breddy Stinellis and you have a conversation between Patrick Bateman and Sean Bateman that goes on in the books so if you've read the novels each novel has this same phone conversation go on in it so they do parallel each other kind of in their timelines it is very cool um some people probably don't like rules of attraction it's not necessarily a horror film it is a very dark comedy uh but it is interesting to see how patrick bateman's younger brother um is dealing with college life
1: it's a, it, that's a fascinating type of weird tangential universe thing to have, happen uh during like it that's a weird like crossover um but i, I, I did not know about that what I find more and more impressive about this movie is it constantly showing a lot of influences to classic thrillers and classic uh, other horror films on its sleeve, very much. Like, I kept getting Alfred Hitchcock vibes at every single turn of this movie. Uh, from its, like, static camera shots of New York City to that uh, Hitchcockian kind of score that comes in and out. It's, uh, it's a very, it's, it feels kind of like a throwback in a lot of respects, and I mean that as a compliment.
0: No, I mean, it definitely has that, it has a throwback feel to it, and it definitely has that, it, it does feel like a movie that was made in the 1980s, everything about it has that feel, even
1: some of the camera work in there. It does, it feels older, it feels like a, I don't know why, but it, it's, it feels old, older than it should be.
0: Uh, it. I mean, it feels like you could. It could fit in with like Bright Lights, Big City, um, or Less Than Zero. Any of those type of films. It it fits in with that very well as being like, oh, I could see this being made at that same time. Yeah. Um,
1: I. I was. I was thoroughly impressed at how convincing that movie is at the time frame that it's made in. Uh, because yeah. it's it completely like because we keep having this a little weird like disillusionment when there's like oh it's like a period piece but it's shot very artsy and there's like this weird disconnect where you're like okay well I'm still watching a modern-ish movie because right. of of the t- of like the way that the camera moves it, uh, yeah because
0: well it, there's that digital look that you get now that in two thousand you weren't really gonna get there was you know people were doing digital a little bit but you weren't. Um, film still existed and that was a very nice thing
1: Mm -hmm. and and the way not even so much the way that film looked back then but the way that it was shot along with the lighting and the costumes Mm -hmm. and everything like it perfectly like it like it genuinely fooled me a couple of times because i was like shouldn't christian bale have been like 13 in the 80s or something right right no and that's (laughs) and that's
0: exactly why this is such a good film and extremely underrated when it came out um, apparently this movie was also NC-17 originally and had to be uh, cut multiple times in order to get an R, which I think, honestly, I think the only reason that this ended up getting an NC-17 is because of the reputation that American Psycho the novel had ahead
1: of time. Mm-hmm. If It did have were, copious amounts of sex in, in the film, yeah, but which the, the I sex, think for the, the time would have been.
0: The sex wasn't the issue. It was the violence that was the issue. The sex, if you look at how it's done, you're not really seeing much going on. You see some nudity, but you're not seeing as much as you would expect to be seeing in a movie. Like there's sex scenes in romantic films are way more gratuitous than what you're getting in American side. I
1: suppose you're you're right.
0: Um, in this it's it's almost just half the time you're just watching him pose. Really, yeah. you get close up which to is him hilarious, flexing. By the way, <laughs> which is, and it's it's amazing to show the vanity of it. It's like he doesn't care. This is all a vanity thing. It's for all him. about him. Yeah. Uh, and then the other issue when this movie came out was Mary Heron was the director, and as we know now, you know it's still an issue. People are still having issues with there being female directors, um, especially in horror, and it's with this. I remember when this film was coming out, so much controversy with people saying, Why are you putting a female director in there? It's going to be absolutely terrible. And I'm like, That's not true. We've seen, like, mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery. The original is great. You know, that's and a there's horrible a
1: horrible lo- argument to make.
0: It's an absolutely terrible argument to make, which, in this is proof right there that this is a fantastic film. That yeah. I think, this, is, this is magnificent. And it's a movie that is absolutely brutal towards women. It is horrible vicious it's, and oh my vile God, and brutal terrible, and treats them like garbage. Of... <laughs> directed and written by, well, the the film, you know, the script, the screenplay written by a woman.
1: The perspective is right. very much from a male gaze and yeah. it's, a, it's a very cutting look at the way that men interact I- with each other in this world and how they do not give a shit about anything but themselves. They and really don't, they, yeah. And when they don't have to uh, like have any accountability for what they do, and all they care about is money and drugs and sex. They don't give a shit about anything about how they feel, uh, or yeah. about about how people, let alone women, feel. And I find it a, a, like a very cutting indictment about that mentality towards men in general. And it's a very like I wouldn't, I almost wouldn't trust anybody but a woman at the helm of that because it's a very important and, message. And
0: I, oh, I definitely agree. And it's interesting to see though how. All of these characters were, are portrayed because everyone is is terrible. Nobody really comes out of this looking good. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you, it, you it, they,
1: they more or so look I- innocent or guilty. It's more It's more of that because like you're either guilty of being an asshole, or you're one of these persons that are either victimized by, by Bateman, uh, a woman that is cannibalized by this world of excess and money, or you are a conspirator asshole in his life. And it, you, like there's nothing good about happening in any of it. Like there's no justice, there's no happiness, there's no peace, there's just chaos. And Well, and that's
0: and that's where we we kind of get towards our ending of just this chaos. Like what is really going on, right? And in this film we start to now in the book it's a little more, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of brought up of uh is the, you know, is this really happening or is it not happening? Um, is it all part of you know some sick fantasy in his head? Is he actually killing these people? It's been a while since I've read the book. But uh, in the film, that's definitely the major crux of this ending. It's kind of, did he really kill all of these people? Did he kill some of these people? And how much were figments of his imagination or doodles in his planner because you know when Jean finds it later on she sees that it's it's filled with normal stuff and then as she's going through it's a little drawing of him killing someone and then another one and another one and then pages and pages and pages just filled
1: with horrifying right. stuff and so, I'll be fair like I'll be honest the ending uh, it was a, only a tiny bit lost on me but I think the overall message of it, Uh, is profound uh, because regardless of what he's confessed to or if they're feelings or if they're actual actions, it's the fact that he, he is unraveling his psyche because he wants, he he like sort of wants to be found out or he wants some sort of, he wants to reach out and touch something of accountability or uh, he wants to be caught in some kind of way. And he isn't. And there's some era of not caring that his world is just reinforcing him to, like, all right, well, whatever. And anybody that's not directly affected by him doesn't care. And he's kind of driven crazier by it because he learns nothing. And he wants to learn something about himself by admitting all of this, but he doesn't. And that's so haunting. That's so fucked up
0: yeah i mean i think with with the way i see this ending for him there's a lot of i mean there's there's a couple different ways to interpret it especially when he goes into uh paul allen's apartment supposedly and you know it's up for rent and he goes to see that if the bodies are there and they're not and the woman asks him you know about the thing in the paper and he says oh yeah i saw it there and she's like no there was no ad but then she's like, the way she says, I think you should leave and
1: don't come back, seemed almost... It's very knowing. It's like, that was like a big, like to me, I mentioned Hitchcock before. I was like, oh my God, like, No, and what that's, that and that's, that's
0: where you start to wonder. So I, and I know this probably isn't it, but I, I like the way that you can potentially interpret that he is actually doing all of this stuff. And some dark organization is allowing it to happen and is just kind of coming behind him kind of as the cleaner and taking care of everything. So he doesn't have to, or it's gotten too big for him. Now that's, that's a little far fetched, but I, I still like that idea of it. But then, you know, when you really think about it, um, to me, it just seems like he, he's kind of lost his mind. You even see him doodling when he's out with Evelyn before he decides he's going to break it off with her. And he's drawing, uh, the chainsaw in, in, um, the woman's back that he threw down into her and i think that i don't think that actually happened i think the initial sex and abuse with christy and the other girl happened i think the secondary of him murdering might not have it may have been part of a delusion of his mind but i think that a good amount of what you see as far as some of the physical violence he's actually doing or if he he may have killed a few people along the way but what we're seeing might just be an amalgamation of of fantasies that he's having mixed in with stuff that he's actually been able to hide
1: exactly and and regardless of whether or not it even is true the metaphor the the lesson of all of this is that a person like Bateman can exist and still never be held to account even if they don't end up killing somebody but an asshole like that murderers aside can exist have exist currently exist and do and are not held to account by that and they will never learn anything by themselves
0: in the film they are as well i mean timothy price is a prime example he you know he's fueled by drugs, and actually there's deleted scenes where he just kind of loses it, and uh, in, in the novel it kind of like jumps down off of this. I think he jumps down off this balcony and just runs out through these train tracks because one of the clubs has these tracks, and just kind of disappears for a while. And you know all of these characters have personal demons, and a lot of them, and they all try to mask it through just sitting you know fitting in with the the status quo and the social norms and everything and going to these parties and doing that but i think because they have to go through that grinder uh in order to have money and in order to have power they have to you know go through what is essentially just monotonous hell that that is where they have their excesses of one thing or another but in bateman's bateman is just you know, psychotic. Like he has a lot of of mental issues, um, and he, he you know he is a psychopath, and that's that's what's we're seeing it from that. Like, what if you took a person who has potential to be a serial killer and made them a very powerful person in Wall Street? It does exist, you know.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a perfect analogy and metaphor for you know mentality like that and a uh, a a terrible terrible culture of greed and excess and selfishness that uh is like it's it's beautifully told <laughs> like i think to sum up like this is a it's it's a metaphor beautifully told uh through the eyes of uh murder and excess and money it's uh it's it's awesome easily <laughs> an easy easy recommend uh a a humble uh, apology to this movie for ever not really giving it the time of day because I thought it was just some pretentious, like, boondock saints-y type of action-y movie.
0: <laughs> no, no. This um, this movie, the more I see it, the more I like it. I remember I saw it in theaters, and I you know, I enjoyed it, um, but I, I kind of wanted a little more out of it, knowing the source material. But now going back watching it you know I've seen it plenty of times over the years but each time I appreciate it more and more for what it is and what Mary Heron was able to uh, to tell you know it was solid man and especially the fact that this movie even exists because it was very difficult for it to even get made so for it to be number one made and be as good as it is and career defining as it is that's awesome highly recommend for me
1: Absolutely. Same as me same as me uh could not have been more uh pleasantly surprised by uh by a movie like this. Uh, absolutely worth your time and uh you know, maybe don't put the poster up on your wall because, you know, I'm in my late 20s and I don't need to do that anymore. But uh worth your time nonetheless. Uh but that's going to do it for us this week. What are we going to be doing next week, Rob? So uh
0: we're going to we're going to do kind of more of a VHS classic, I guess. Um, Just because not a lot of people talk about this movie. It is the Jill Sholin 1991 classic, Popcorn.
1: Oh, you told me about this and I'm like really excited to actually break into it because I I took one look at the poster before we started recording and I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm into this. I'm into this.
0: Yeah, so for people who haven't seen it, little synopsis. It is uh, about a killer who starts hunting down teenagers at a horror movie marathon that they've put on at a theater that is closing down. Um, And it's like 1950s-style films with all the gags and everything that they used to do. It's awesome. Uh, It's a whole lot of fun. So you should check it out before the next episode because we are going to go very spoiler-heavy into it.
1: Very much so. And thank you guys so much for listening. Rob, why don't you tell us where we can be found online, and we'll get out of here.
0: Well, you can uh, find us on our website at othehorrorcast.com. You can also find our podcast anywhere that you download podcasts. So iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all of those other ones. Uh, we <laughs> all there, of the other and ones. And then on most social media, we are at othehorrorcast. Some of it is at Holmes Invasion right off
1: i don't really know specifically which
0: ones are which but you'll find
1: (laughs) us you will you absolutely will but thank you guys again so much for hanging out with us and supporting the show we've been having another great month thanks to you guys and we can't wait to be having more so until next time i'm steve allman and i'm rob holmes and we'll see you guys next time
0: Time to keep your appointment with the Wicca Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead...